just love his stuff. You're like, he's weird, I know, which is why I like him. And so um, just really, really, really good stuff. And it's everything that he has ever written. Short stories. I mean, you know, uh, Raven is in here. I mean, the cast of Amaniago. I mean, it's all in here, right? It's like in this book. So I love reading this, like especially in the fall for whatever reason. I just love to pick this up. And I paid like a quarter for this. And isn't it crazy, like, when you go to yard sales or garage sales or uh, even thrift stores and things like that, like, there are always, like, stacks and stacks and stacks of books like this. And they're just there, and most of the time they're, like, a quarter or, you know, three for a quarter or, you know, something crazy like that. Like, they're just, they're just super, super, super cheap. And when you think about it, think about this for a second. Like, even, like, this is the complete works of Edgar Allan Poe, right? And there are other books that literally, these are books full of stories that people have literally spent years and years and years and years of their lives writing. And now we're buying them for a quarter, right? And so you, you think about it like that, and you think maybe, man, look at all of these stories. Like, look at, look at just these stacks and stacks of books, whether you go to a yard sale, or you know, whatever it is, you see these stories. And these are people's lives in pages that are sold for super, super cheap. You know, this, this book reminds me of a story uh, that I heard about this guy who... Uh, in France, who went to like a library sale. A library was cl- closing down, so he went and he was buying some books from this library. And he pulled off this this old book off of the shelf, which is honestly the fr- when I first saw this book, I saw it. It was really old, and so I was thinking to myself, maybe that's an original copy, right? Like, you know, I get it. It, 1989 is the copyright on it. Anyway, uh, so uh, yeah, oh, there goes that. But uh, so like, but he grabs this book that is like really, really old. And buys it like for super super cheap. I, I don't even remember exactly how much he said. It's just like a couple of dollars. Really, he buys it for super cheap. And it was kind of a, a big thick book, and it was really old looking. And so he, he gets it home and he opens it up and he begins to look at it. And the pages are just like really super fragile. They're all yellow. You know how like white pages will turn yellow as the book gets old. You know, and they're they're fragile. And he's looking at it. So he flips through it. And and what he finds and figures out is that this book that he bought was actually the original copy of the complete works of William Shakespeare from 1623. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that nuts? And worth over two million dollars. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, that's like that's what we want when we go to yard sales, right? Like, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that picture that, you know, I can slit down the middle and find like a million dollars in the back of, right? Like, that's what, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm looking for. And this guy actually found that. And so, isn't it nuts though? Like the cheapest things at these book sales and yard sales are always these books. And they're all, always like stacked up over next to the to the VHS tapes, right? It's nuts. Our lives, if you think about it, our lives are, are like these books. They're full of stories, good stories, bad stories, ugly stories, redeeming stories, fun stories, sad stories. Every one of our lives, every one of our lives, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how young you are, every one of our lives tells a story. It tells a story. And maybe you think of your story, your life, like one of these books sometimes. It's over in the bargain bin. It's over by the VHS tapes. It's forgotten. It's not interesting. It's ugly. It's cheap. It's whatever. Nothing special. But the truth is, 
is what makes your story and my story valuable is like the guy who bought the, the Shakespeare book. Not necessarily the guy, but the book, the book itself. Because what made that book valuable was its author and its authenticity. The thing that made that book valuable, like it wasn't just some book written by some guy, it was, and it wasn't just because it was old. What made that book valuable was its author and its authenticity. And so the value comes from the person that has written it. But because of the one who wrote it, it's amazingly valuable. Now, that's not to say that, uh, or you know, maybe you think about it like this. I, I don't want to put it like this, but maybe you're thinking this, is that... Um, you know, your story is it's unique in its own way, but it's not just your story, like it's your soul. Like your soul is unique. And you, just regular as a person, you're unique. You know, not to not to go to there and say that you're a snowflake, but you're a snowflake, right? Right? Pretty little snowflakes. Like everybody's different, everybody's unique. Like you got your own little fingerprint, like you've got your your soul is is unique in and of itself because think about it like this. God has Put you together, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Like God made you and knit you and put you together the way that he wanted to put you together. And you may not like exactly the way that God put you together. And you may not like everything that, that God put in you. And you may not like some of the feelings and emotions that you experience in life. And, and some of the experiences that you have gone through. But if you really, really think about it and you understand scripture, that God made you the way that you are on purpose, with a purpose. For a purpose. In fact, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says this, he says, For we, he's talking about you and I, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that. God, is, God has been literally thinking about you and I before time. Like before your parents ever thought about you, before your grandparents ever thought about your parents, before anything, before the world was ever formed, the Bible tells us that, that God had you in mind. And he was beginning to, to make you and, and, and to form you. Psalm 139, 16, it says this, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Think about that. Let me, let me read that again. It says, in your book were written every one of them, every one of your days, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So before there was ever time, before there were ever days, God said, you know what? This is you. This is who you are. This is what you are like. This is what you will feel. Your story, every part of it, has been penned by God in some way. And so just because of that, remember, author and authenticity. Author and authenticity is what makes value. And so because God has penned your story, because God has made you the way that you are, that alone gives you value. But it's the messy things in our stories that make us feel like we're not about it. <laughs> Maybe it's been a string of bad decisions, failures, struggles. It's the darkness that exists in your story that makes us feel like our stories aren't valuable, that we ourselves are not, not valuable. But thankfully, even in the darkness, God is there with us. Later in Psalm, or actually right before what is written in Psalm 139, 16, in verse 11 and 12, the writer of this psalm says this, he says, If I say... Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. 
Even the darkness is not dark to you. Isn't that crazy? Like, that's what, that's what this writer says. He says, like, even when I feel like I am at the lowest of my low, even when I feel like I am in the darkest of places, even when I feel like this is it, he says, the dark is not dark to you at all. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And that's good news for us. God can give our darkness purpose. Heard someone say once, I read this a while back, but they said this, they said, darkness exists to make the light count. Darkness exists to make the light count. And so I've always kind of framed it up like this and said it this way, that the, the bad things in our lives, the bad things in our world, those things exist to make the light that God shines on the darkness even brighter. Even brighter. And so, really, just to sort of uh, just give us a framework, sort of a, a bottom line for uh, what we're talking about uh, today is, is really this. And, and it's pretty simple if you think about what we've already said. But every part of your story, every part of my story makes you who you are. Every part of your story makes you who you are. Even, hear me when I say this, even the messy parts. Especially the messy parts. I heard another author put it this way. They said, that, they said this, they said that your strengths will impress people, but your weaknesses will influence people. Your strengths will impress people, but your weaknesses will influence people. And so people may be, uh, they may be attracted to your strengths, but they're going to connect to your weaknesses. In other words, they're going to connect to your messy parts. They're going to connect to the dark parts and, and the dark places in your life. Those are the places that you're, they're going to connect to. And so in the opposite of that is the, the strengths, the places where we walk upright, the places where we sort of pat ourselves on the back and maybe uh, boast about and, and go, you know what, I'm good, I've got this, life is great. Like People don't necessarily connect to those things. That They may impress people, but we don't connect to those things. People connect to the, to the messy things in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be all over the Bible today. We're not going to look at just one story. We're going to be in a couple of different places. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 says this. It says, Paul writes, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In other words, what Paul is saying is God's saying that, you know what, I'm going to take the things that don't make sense. I'm going to th take the things that seem foolish to others. I'm going to take your weaknesses, and those are the things that I'm going to use most. I, uh, I love the phrase, me too. I love that phrase, me too. I'll tell you why I love that phrase, especially as we look at this. Because the phrase, me too, can help change someone's life. Did you know that? In conversations with people, that when you're sharing your struggles, when you're sharing your weaknesses, when we're talking about those things, sometimes just the phrase, me too, can change someone's life. When you connect someone else's struggle to your own uh, struggle, your own redemption from the mess... That mess can become your message. To just simply say, hey, you know what? Me too. I, I struggle with that. Me too. Or, you know what? Me too. I felt that way. Or, you know what? Yeah, 
Me too. Because what that does is that helps connect people and, and go, hey, at least they know what I'm talking about. They may know, not, not know exactly what I'm experiencing, but at least they know what I'm talking about. At least they understand where I'm coming from. And so that phrase, me too, could be so powerful, but that requires you and I to be who God made us to be, even with our mess. Even with our mess. It requires us to have to just be open and honest with the mess that we have. And so you have to ask yourself this question. To whom in your life can you say me too? To whom in your life can you say me too? Whom in, in your life, who do you know right now that uh, may be struggling with something? And, and you know what? Maybe you've struggled with that something too, but, but you've not told them that you've struggled with that. Or you know what? Maybe, maybe you're struggling with something and, and you know that somebody else has struggled with it and you just need them to say me too. But who do you know in your life that you can just go to and say, hey, you know what? Me too. That's part of sharing your story. It's part of sharing who God made you to be. Um, I know that you've heard this phrase before, but just by show of hands, how many of you heard this one? Life gives you lemons, make lemonade, right? How many of you hate that phrase? Right. Uh, so no, nobody hates that phrase. Okay, that's cool. Uh, so we're not bitter. All right, that's good. That's good. Uh, that, that phrase, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I Google searched that phrase on, on uh, Google. And I uh, was just kind of looking around and be like, hey, like, what I was really trying to do is find the origin of that phrase, like who came up with that phrase, you know, hoping that it would be like, you know, some like really great, you know, just amazing story about, you know, how that came about. And you really can't find anything. What you mostly find is a whole lot of inappropriate things. But um, so uh, I did find some that were kind of funny, though. Uh, it, it's a little cliche, but um, I a couple of funny ones that are not inappropriate. Uh, I saw one that said this. It says, when life gives you lemons, throw them at someone. (laughs) Pretty good. I thought that was appropriate. Uh, Here was another one that I thought was pretty funny. Uh, It says, unless life gave you water and sugar, your lemonade is going to be gross. (laughs) It's pretty true, right? Pretty true, pretty true. But here, here's the reality. There are parts of our past, there are parts of my past, there are parts of your past, there are parts of our stories, that they're just lodged like a uh, huge boulder in our hearts, and they've changed us. We would not be who we are today without those things. And so our past, your past, my past, they absolutely impact us, but... What we get to do is we get to choose what we do with those things. You and I get to choose what we do with those things. We get to choose what we do with the pains, the sorrows, the joys, the happy times, the good times, the bad times, the messy times. You and I, we get to choose what we do with those. Jesus understood this really, really, really well. In fact, he he says in John 16, 33, as he's talking to uh, some people, he, he utters this phrase that I think that we've all heard before. I know that I say it all the time because there's two stark realities in this. But in John 16, 33, he says this. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. In other words, trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart for I have overcome the world. And that's just a reality that we don't like. We like the first part where it says... 
in me you will have peace. We don't like the second part, that in this world we will have trouble. Because what happens is that they are really overlapping realities. Trials and sorrows. Real stuff. Hurts. Things that make us wonder if, if God really exists. Things that make us doubt whether or not that God actually loves us. Things that, that make us question who God is. Those kind of realities. That kind of trouble. Not just my car wouldn't start in the morning or, you know what, I was late to work or I spilled coffee on the rug or whatever. I mean, those are bad things. Don't get me wrong. But, did you spill some coffee this morning? All right. Okay. All right. It's awesome. Sorry you're having a bad day. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Someone will clean it up. All right. So... I mean, you think about it, like, I mean, those are just really overlapping realities in this world, right? Jesus says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. In other words, he's saying, don't give up hope, because I'm bigger than all of it. I'm bigger than all of it. And if we're honest, we don't do well with, with putting these two things together, the trials and troubles and tribulations, the the in this world we will have trouble and the other reality that Jesus says, I've got this. I'm bigger than this. We don't do well with, with those two things coming together. We usually try to separate the two and, and end up either building our theology around one or the other. Like we can go so far to one side and say that, uh, you know what, there, uh, because God has got this, then, then nothing in my life is ever going to be bad. Jesus has got this. He's going to take care of it. Everything's always going to be okay. Puppy kisses, rainbows, and unicorns, right? But we know that that's not true. Sometimes we kind of get into that reality. And then other times we go completely to the other side. We go to the other reality and say, in this world we will have trouble, period. Nothing at the end of that. No hope at the end of that. Nothing that injects anything that says that God is bigger than that. That everything just stinks. And so we end up building our theologies, our understanding, our views off of these. My son, Isaiah, um, this has been a few years back, but he um, was actually doing a funeral. And uh, it's a funeral for my uncle. And we got a phone call. Um, I got like this text message from, uh, <laughs> well, it was uh, Chris and Melissa Hill. You guys know Chris and Melissa uh, here. They play on, in, in band. But um, uh, they were watching our kids uh, for us while we were doing this funeral. And I got this text message. And the only thing that the text message said, it was from Chris. It said, hey, I need you to call me when you get a chance. But don't worry. <laughs> And then my wife's phone is blowing up too, like just phone, yeah, like it just, I mean, just calling over and over and over again. And so she answers the phone, and I can't remember if it was Chris or Melissa that, that was calling, but I think it was Chris. And Chris was, Chris said, he said this, he said, hey, something has happened, but don't worry. You know, and it's like, oh no. Like, you don't say that to a parent, right? Like, and I think at the time Isaiah might have been like three years old or something like that, well, what had happened was, is that Isaiah and uh, Chris and Melissa's daughter, uh, uh, Amelia, they were standing on the top of her dresser, and they were jumping off of her dresser onto the bed, right? Like, so, like, literally four or five feet in the air, like, supermaning, like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, jumping onto the bed. Well, Isaiah didn't make it. <laughs> and so, he actually, like, hit, like, the edge of the bed with his head. 
and like put this gash in his head, like just pouring. I don't. It's a little strange. Like pouring out, you know, red stuff, blood, you know, like just coming out. Broke his arm. Like it was as bad as you think it is, right? Like I mean, it was just no. And so, uh, Denaro rushes over there. She gets over there, and you know, like he's sitting there. You know, of course, you know, crying, and like there's literally like it's just awful, right? I mean, it just looks horrible. And so they rush him to the hospital, get in there, you know, and they give him stitches and all that. He's, you know, he's fine. But if you look closely, like, it, it's kind of faded away a little bit. But if you look closely, like, he has this scar, like, right in the middle of his head. Like, just right there where he had these stitches. Like, it went literally down to his skull. Like, that, you know. And the doctor, as, as he's getting ready to, to sew him up, you know, De Niro was like, hey, is his, is his skull okay? And he goes... Yeah, I can see it. It looks fine. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, you know, so it's awful, right? And so he gets it. He gets it sewn up. Well, like after that, like he's telling everybody, he's like showing everybody. He's like, yeah, look at my, like every, it's the coolest thing in the world. He's got this scar. It's awesome, you know. He's like showing everybody this cool scar that he he's got. But I don't know what happened, and I think this happens to all of us too at some point. Is that um, eventually what happened? I mean, he's, this is like four years later now. Like, eventually, like, the scar kind of started to fade just a little bit, but you can kind of still see it there. But now, it, he's kind of embarrassed by it. And we were having a conversation one day, and he said, he said something to me like, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, I got this thing on my head. And like, everybody always, like, he had just got tired of everybody asking him what it was about. What is that scar about? What is that? What happened? You know, and he got tired. I guess he just got, got, you know, tired of telling the story. And I think the same thing happens to us, doesn't it? With the scars in our lives. Because we've all got them. They're, every single one of us in here have them. And I'm not talking about the physical scars. I'm talking about the emotional ones. I'm talking about the spiritual ones. I'm talking about uh, just the mental ones. We've all got those scars. And eventually what happens to us is maybe we kind of build up enough courage at some point where we're like, yeah, I've got these scars. And it's not like that we're like beating our chest and we're like, oh, look at all my scars. They're so awesome. Like, not that we're ever doing that, but we might be telling the story about about our scars and what God has done through them and what, what has happened to us and so that we can say me too to others but eventually we kind of get to that place where we're kind of embarrassed by it. And so we start to, we start to hide them. You know, we start to, to cover them up in, in any way that, that we can. There's a story in the Bible about um, this interaction that Jesus has with his disciples and, and namely this guy named Thomas. We know the story of Thomas, right? We kind of gave him the nickname, the, the Doubting Thomas, right? We, we kind of know the story a little bit if you read the Bible at all, and especially the resurrection story. Jesus is crucified. He, he is uh, resurrected again on the third day, and, and he comes back, and he, he visits his disciples on multiple occasions. Well, at one point, he, he sort of visits uh, most of the disciples, and he comes, and he visits them, and, and he... Sees all of them, but Thomas is out. We don't know where he's at. He might be at, like, you know, Long John's picking up some fish and chips, I guess. But, like, he's, you know, he's out. He's not there. But when Jesus comes, and, and so Thomas comes back, they're like, Jesus came. We saw him. He's alive. You know, so they're talking about all this. And Thomas, you know what Thomas says, right? Thomas is like, I'm, I'm not going to believe it until I see the, the scars in his hands and the piercing of his side. Like, I want to touch it. I want to see these scars. We read about this interaction that Jesus has with Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 26. It says this, eight days later. I, I love that it says eight days. So this is like eight days after his disciples had seen Jesus again, right? 
Eight days later, Jesus comes to see Thomas. Can you imagine what Thomas is going through? Like all of the disciples are talking about this uh, interaction that they have with Jesus being, and they're they're like on cloud nine, right? Like I mean, they're just like it's amazing for them. And Thomas is like, whatever, y'all are joking. Like quit pulling my leg. Like for eight days, right? Eight days later, it says his disciples were inside again, and this time Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said. Peace be with you. Now, that's just a cool party trick. I don't care who you are. Like, if you can do that, that's awesome. All right, so Jesus shows up. Doors locked. Boom, he appears. Peace be with you. And he said, then he said this to Thomas. He said, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. He says, Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him. I love his answer. I love because what else would you say? Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Because are blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus, in, in showing his scars, what he was really doing with Thomas was he was showing Thomas his identity. Saying, look Thomas, I am who I say I am. The scars showed his identity. His scars said, this is who I am. The same is true for your scars and my scars. Your scars tell us it's part of our identity. It's part of who God made us. It's part of who we are. A friend of mine, he says this. He says, scars are there to remind us that we're human, but also that you survived. Isn't that good? That God got us through it. And so how we see all of this is vitally, vitally important. Paul, the Apostle Paul, we talked about him a lot tonight or today. In fact, uh, the scripture that uh, Larry read earlier during our scripture reading comes from this, this same place that we're going to read here in just a moment. But Paul, Paul actually says the same thing. He says, hey, these scars are there to show that, that I survived, but uh, that God actually got me through it. And, and what he, Paul's actually going to say, too, he said that all of the things that have happened to me, the, the beatings, the imprisonment, the, the bitten by a snake, the shipwreck, I mean, all of these things, he says, all of these things that have happened to me, they've been really, really, really bad things. But he says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, even though these things have happened to me, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all of the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says, everything that has happened to me has only happened to me so that it will help advance the gospel. Every scar that I have, every shipwreck, every beating, every imprisonment, every everything, all of these things will help serve and advance the gospel. And he says, because of that, now people are so much more bold to, to preach and speak the gospel because they've heard me say, me too. It's helped other people. There's a writer by the name of Adriel Moxley. And um, he writes this. He says, You're right where you're supposed to be. God writes all of the pages in our book, and this chapter might be the highlight, or it might be the lull. But ultimately, I love this. He says, Ultimately, it is his 
to write. So relax into it, friend. The story isn't over. Isn't this so much of what the disciples were feeling after Jesus was crucified? The story wasn't over. And if you and I, if we will have the courage to let God pull back, uh, really just pull back the, the layers and the layers of things that we've hidden under and, and heal us, he'll use us to be able to show and give others the same comfort and healing that he has given you. God heals our hurts and struggles, regrets, pains, past, through the crushing of Jesus on the cross, but then raising him from the dead, declaring victory over the worst of pain and death itself. So the song that we sang this morning, to the God of victory, all glory be. And so if death is defeated through God's healing, our past, our hurts, our sorrows, the, the darkness can be redeemed for his glory. Now, as we close, I really just want to give us sort of three quick things just in the next two or three minutes here. Really just, a, really just a, a, a process. I want to challenge us to do this because, again, we've already determined this. It's absolutely true for every one of us. We all have these scars. We all have these dark places. We all have these messy, messy spots. Three things to, to challenge us to take a next step today. Here they are. Number one is this, is that we have to acknowledge our story, every part of it. We have to acknowledge our story. You're going to have to let your story breathe. Secondly, we're going to have to deal with our past. We're going to have to deal with our past. Because we all have our past. We all have these scars. We all have these places. It's not good enough just to, to pull back the layers. But we have to, to deal with it. We have to do something about it. And then third, is you have to leverage it. You have to leverage your story. We don't have the courage to, to pull back these layers. We don't have the courage to pull back uh, these hidden spots. There's going to be more at stake in your life. And it's going to affect others too. Because when God heals what's under there, He can use it to help others through you. Don't you want that to be part of your story? Don't you want that to be the the part of the, the paragraph at the end of that story that points others to redemption. Because pointing others to redemption can help you in redemption yourself. Listen, we all struggle. We all have those parts. We all have those messy places. And God didn't create you to, to deal with those messy things on your own or by yourself. And this is the, one of the hardest things that I uh, struggle with to understand about believers is how we isolate when we struggle. How we remove ourselves from community when we struggle. How we uh, get and, and we hide ourselves when we struggle. Thinking that maybe if I just hide long enough, it's going to go away. It's not going to go away. Maybe if I, if I get away from other people, then, then my mess won't bring anybody else down. You're right, your mess won't bring anybody else down. That's not going to help anybody either. So instead of isolating, let's leverage those things. i close with this. There's this, uh, I learned this this past week, there's this uh, great Japanese phrase. It's called wabi-sabi. Wabi. All right, sorry. Uh, 
I used to, when I was a student pastor, I used to have my kids call me Bobby Wasabi. Uh, I love Wasabi, so it's good. But uh, anyway, so the word is called Wabi Sabi. Wabi Sabi. And here's what it means. I love what it means. It says, imperfection is beauty. That's what the phrase means. Wabi Sabi. Imperfection is beauty. And I love this because our lives are so much Wabi Sabi, are they not? <laughs> There's so much of that. It's just imperfectly beautiful. We should never, ever, ever, ever apologize for being imperfect. I wore our It's Okay to Not Be Okay t-shirt today. Because this phrase is good, but you can't, you can't just sit in this phrase. You can't just hold on to this and say, well, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. Don't forget the last part of it. It's not okay to stay there. Because God refuses to leave you there. I heard a story about a, a girl that goes here, and she was out somewhere, and she had the shirt on, and, and uh, she was in a place with a bunch of people that she knew, and, and uh, this person that, that she knew really well saw her wearing this shirt, and really knew a lot of her story, but saw her with the shirt on, and he stopped, and as they walked by, he stopped her and like kind of put his hand on her shoulder and kind of looked and read the shirt, and he goes, it's okay to not be okay, and then he just kind of looks at her and goes, I guess that's good for you, isn't it? Yikes! Right? So I can tell you what's good for you right here. Bam. <laughs> How's that? But you know what? Wabi sabi. It is okay to not be okay, but you you can't stay there. And that's really that's really her story. Is yeah, you know what? It's okay for me to not be okay, but I also understand that God had refused to lead me there, and He didn't. So as we close this morning, I just want to pray around these things. I want to help you as we do every single week to, to take a next step. And I, I don't know exactly what your next step is and, and how you deal with these things, how you uh, leverage your story, how you begin to, to use these things. But one, one thing that we can certainly all do is just pray for the courage to, to be able to do that, to be able to share our story, to share our struggle with other people. We have a great place that you can do that on Tuesday nights. Uh, you can do it right here, here together with all of us here on Sundays in so many different ways. But we have a recovery ministry that meets on Tuesday nights. We call it recovery groups. Uh, Six o'clock on Tuesday nights. And they start right here and then they break off into groups. And it's just an amazing community where you can literally not be okay and be around people who say, we know that you're not okay because we've not been okay. So me too, wabi-sabi, but God refuses to leave you. And it's not just those that, that struggle with substance abuse and, and things that are like, that we all just sort of look at and say, well, that's like the really, really bad stuff. No, I mean, this is just people that just hurt sometimes. People that have dealt with unforgiveness. People that have dealt with infidelity. People that have dealt with divorce. People that have dealt with loss in their life. People that have dealt with abuse. Being abused. Abusing others. People that have dealt with all kinds of things and they're all coming together in the same place and saying me too? You too. Alright, me too. You too. Me too. You too. Right? Like everybody's going like and then the beautiful thing is, is everybody's going, you know what? 
I refuse to leave you there. So not only does God refuse to leave you there, but I refuse to leave you there. And then you refuse to leave me there. It's called community. That's a great place to be. It's a great next step for you to take. So maybe maybe recovery groups isn't necessarily your flavor, and that's okay, too. We have life groups as well. You can get involved in a life group. We have life groups that meet all throughout the week, different times, different places right here. If that's something that you're interested in, put it on your Connect card. We'll get you connected to a life group. We have a a, a new life group starting up uh, when? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Look at that. Tomorrow morning. Uh, Tony's leading a, a women's life group at uh, Atomic Fibers. And so if that's something that you're interested in being a part of, see Tony right after the service. You've got to be a lady, okay? Sorry, guys. It'd be weird for you to be there. She'll teach you how to do something, I guess. I don't know. But uh, so think about those things. Let's pray together, and we'll take communion and worship. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've done here this morning, God, all that you're going to do. We, we just, God, we lay our... Our story, our messy parts, God, the the things that are maybe unbecoming to the world, that look foolish to the world, God, we lay them before you because we just believe your word that says that you will take the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God, how the world may look at the bad things that happen to us or the the messy parts of our lives or the dark parts of our lives to think that that we should be... uh, Hiding those things and, and ashamed of those things, God. God, when they're placed into your hands, God, they can do amazing works of healing in the lives of others. So, God, give us the courage to take that next step, to, to lay them before you. To have the courage to, to speak up. God, to have the courage to take that next step, to, to maybe join a group with community, whether it be a life group or a recovery group or, or, or just... Uh, to be in community with other believers, God, to be able to say, you know what? Me too. So we just pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we uh, sing a song, worship? We invite you to come and take communion together uh, with us this morning. Keith is one of our prayer partners here. He'd love to pray with you. If you want to pray with someone, I'll be over here somewhere. I'd love to pray with you as well. Or you just continue to pray and worship right where you're at. Comfort 